Life isn't about quotes about life. Welcome back to episode 29 of the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, David London, and today I'm here with my friend, Lee Boyce. He's a strength and conditioning coach, and in my opinion, arguably one of the best coaches in Toronto when it comes to fitness and training for life. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how to get stronger for life, some of Lee's core philosophies and talking about coming back stronger from injury. So super excited to have you today, my man. Hey man, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to uh, to be doing this. I was looking forward to this one ever since we had our, our pre conversation. Yeah. So, what are some of your core philosophies? I know a lot of time you talk about helping people like understand what the right way to get started with fitness is, understanding you know what is functional for them. And you talk a lot about you know doing the right exercises for your body on your page. Yeah. So um, it, it, there's so much that I can say in, in response to this, but. Basically, my core philosophy is truthfully that everybody is different and it's going to require um, a lot of individualized approaches in order to get um, the best result for yourself and for your own body. Um, I give a lot of talk about like leverages and anthropometry and stuff like that when I uh, when I do do my uh, articles or videos or I release content or even when I train personal train somebody. And so um, that individualization between uh, client to client, uh, it really matters. But Honestly, if we're trying to train for life and we're trying to train for the long haul, we're trying to train for um, just, you know, sustainability, then we have to look at things from a different perspective than just looking at one aspect of fitness, which is where a lot of people go wrong. And that is strength. And uh, there's a lot more to it than just strength. And once we got that covered, we got to look at other areas. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when everyone first starts, they're like, what program is going to get me abs? What program is going to build me muscle? And they think there's like a one person fits all. And it's not for a while that you find these programs don't really work for you. Like, you're like, why did this guy get, you know, ripped abs in three months on the Kena body program? And I just, you know, look the same after three months. Yeah, um, you know, and the the here and now approach that a lot of people like to take on, and even the here and now approach that a lot of um, companies or trainers or industries or whatever like to sort of profess or purport that they can uh, get you to achieve, that's what needs to be sort of, uh, you know, removed or taken down a notch in the fitness industry because uh, it's misleading to a lot of people and uh, it can give people wrong, uh, false hopes, and it can give people um, reason to believe that these kinds of results, even if they do make radical changes in a very short periods of time, that these kinds of results are normal and that they should be achieved and they should be uh, sought after instead of thinking about things from a much more sustainable perspective, which will cover a longer period of time. Um, so that's uh, the first and foremost thing. And it's going to come from educating the masses much more so than just finding more and more qualified trainers. It's going to it's going to come from uh, letting the public knowledge about fitness and health increase for free. And uh, once that happens, it's going to start weeding out a lot of the snake oil trainers that are out there so that they're not even going to have a chance to have a job because nobody's going to believe what they're saying in the first place. Yeah, it's really cool how with social media, we can power a lot of our clients or potential clients or even our, our fan base, especially with like a lot of the content you share. You, you really make it clear and your opinion is strong and you're, you're really showing the science there, especially with all your articles as well of, you know, some of the right ways to get started 
and some of the, you know, the mistakes people fall into. I know like you had some posts you were talking about like form and execution and stuff like that. And it's things that we tend to, you know, overlook when we're first getting started. Yeah. Um, the foundation is the key and, you know, having that foundation where you're doing the basics and you're understanding just how to use your body and how to move your body, achieving that groundwork, the mobility, uh, manipulating body weight, and then getting into the fundamental movement patterns. Uh, these kinds of things are going to be the, the most important thing for you to, you know, just get going in the right direction and get one foot in the front of the other in the right way, rather than skipping 10 million steps. And then you, you do something that you might be able to pull off with that's very advanced, uh, but you don't you're not able to pull it off for too long and you know three weeks down the road you have an injury and you've got all kinds of chronic pain you don't really know why so honestly the uh the foundation first is going to be the best way to do it and there's a lot of different deviations and uh different variations that you can do within that foundation if you just get creative enough and if you're listening to the right sources uh, and it can give you an endless amount of combinations and different styles of workouts within that yeah, luckily I was able to start. I know we talked earlier, but I started with gymnastics and bodyweight training and how I'm super grateful for that foundation it gave me because I was always, you know, a movement first guy, mobility first guy. And then I got into yoga and it's really helped me, you know, avoid a lot of injuries, but also educate my clients, you know, about the importance of starting with mastering your body weight because I feel like you need that body awareness for it to transfer to other areas of your life, even if you're strength training just to be strong for life or you want to improve your posture having that awareness is something that's crucial for and a lot of people tend to neglect yeah 100 percent um so you know having the uh that foundation of the body weight stuff or just movement before you start thinking about anything else even if your goal is to get bigger and you that's going to require a lot of isolation training for example even still knowing how to move and loading movements rather than just moving loads uh knowing that it's not about muscle groups first it's about patterns first these kinds of things are going to be invaluable to somebody's progress and journey overall um that's why nine times out of ten you could tell in a coach number one um not only from the way they train but also just in the way that they coach uh, who was an athlete first versus somebody who might not have had any athletic background whatsoever but still immerse themselves in the fitness world and uh, it's not to take away anything from either group but the people who are the athletes first they usually have a better idea of how to move well and how to have that sort of fluidity in their movements compared to actually just thinking about okay this movement right here that I bend my elbow equals biceps and that's it so um, you know it's a it's a very subtle distinction but it's definitely Definitely something that's still noteworthy enough by a trained eye and um, it, finding that foundation, that athletic background or trying to create an athletic background in yourself where you can learn movements first compared to just thinking about muscles and muscle groups. It's going to go a really long way and it's probably going to keep you injury free for a longer period of time as well. Yeah, I know for, for sure, like the moon patterns are so crucial and it's starting to become more popular. Like people are talking about, you know, mastering the hip hinge and the squat and making sure you have full shoulder range of motion. Whereas, you know, when I started working out nine years ago, it was just, you know, go buy P90X and follow this seven days a week and then, you know, do yoga once a week. But I really like how you mentioned the, the 11 different components of fitness because it really, it opens a lot of eyes and a lot of doors. Like you can, you know, you don't necessarily need to do one avenue that you're not particularly fond of. Like if you don't like lifting weights, there's so many other forms of fitness you can get into. And I think that's where it's, you know, our role as the trainers to, help people find things that are, are fun for them and then they're going to help them build up that foundations for longevity. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, with strength training, and this is where the strength and conditioning world often drops the ball, if you ask me. Um, the strength and conditioning world is very, very focused on the strength part of that, the strength aspect of that term. And um, they really tend to believe a lot of trainers, and for a long time I was uh, part of the problem too, uh, will promote that strength is the most important thing, and it is, but then we'll go and say that there should really not be any ceiling as far as how strong you get, and when you stop focusing on strength in lieu of something else that might be a little bit more demanding of your attention or that should be more demanding your attention. So, you know, all of a sudden, a Turkish getup, it's not enough to be doing that with a 36 kilogram kettlebell. Now we're trying to get heavier and heavier in these movements that might be more focused on patterning and focused on mobility and focused on the, the conditioning or cardio aspect of it or whatnot. Uh, and I'm using that one exercise, um, but I could be using a lot of different things instead. Um, you know, exercises in the weight room that only focus on trying to like, there's no point to me in trying to rack the weight in a face pull or trying to stack up as much weight as possible in a rear leg elevated split squat. Some of these aren't geared towards lifting as heavy as you possibly can and continually making progression in that one uh, area, which is progressive overload. Um, we got to think about things from a different perspective, especially considering the fact that there's going to be some form of collateral damage that every heavy lift creates for us. It's just a matter of how resilient we are in order to deal with that and um, what kinds of things that we're doing on the side in order to sort of manage that. Um, you know, as you said, 11 components of strength and of, uh, sorry, of uh, fitness, strength being one, you know, we haven't talked about balance. We haven't talked about agility, cardiorespiratory capacity, coordination, reaction time, speed, power, like all of these different things. Uh, they're just as important. Body composition is another one talk about a lot of people who are very, very strong, but they also have very, very high body fat percentages. Well, that's going to show that there's a demonstration there that there might not be optimized fitness across the board. It might be skewed in one area in one particular direction a lot more than it needs to be. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, being able to deadlift 700 pounds is not really as useful when you can't catch the bus because you can't run for 10 seconds. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, or you're walking around all labored because of the fact that your joints have taken a beating from all of this heavy lifting you've been doing. So, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here, but what I'm saying is that uh, there's a lot more to it than just strength. And strength is a piece of the pie, but once we've got a hold on it, we've got to start looking at other pieces of the pie that can really help our fitness and uh, our, our other capacities. Yeah, that's really where mobility is coming for me because I know like after I stopped doing gymnastics, I really wanted to get into powerlifting. But I just noticed, you know, every time I was really peaking my strength and, you know, it felt like the strongest in my life is, you know, that's when I, I started to get injured and I feel achy in my shoulders. But like mentally they had a block of like, why is this happening? Like I'm benching, you know, two plates for like three reps and I've never done this before and I'm doing muscle ups and all this great stuff. And my squats like at three plates, but why do I start to, you know, feel those aches and pains creeping up? It's really interesting. Like I know we talked about previously that when you feel your strongest, it's like, what is the body doing leading up to this injury? Yeah. Uh, you know, so much of uh, a lot of programs out there and a lot of strength training uh, programs and so on, they, really, really depend on the starting point of the lifter. And that's the thing that they can't really tell you. Uh, the, the program t can't tell you where your starting point is, but it can give you a great set of workouts to do in order for you to get stronger with all things equal. But for a lot of people, all things aren't equal. So if they start out and they have a previous back injury, for example, or if they start out and they have bad, unfavorable leverages that aren't going to allow them to have um, a great 
tolerance to a whole lot of deadlifting volume, for example, or something else. You know, all these things need to factor in as sort of extenuating circumstances that we have to, you know, put an asterisk next to our workouts and, um, and sort of look at the athlete before we actually look at the program. Um, so with all of that said, you know, when we're thinking about strength training and we're thinking about going heavy and we're thinking about the chronic pain that we might be experiencing and whatnot, uh, we got to ask yourself where our starting point was and uh, what might be contributing to this because, you know, it asks a lot of our body. It asks a lot of our body to be pushing 90%. How old are we? That's another great uh, question to ask as well. You know, a 19 year old is going to have a very different response with all things equal compared to a 39 year old who wants to get knee deep in, in strength training and, and really get as strong as they possibly can given their training age is the same. So, um, yeah, you know, there's just, there's so many factors to consider. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a huge mistake that I made early on when I considered, uh, training my client, when I was training my clients when I was younger, um, you know, when I was 21, 22, 23, and I've got a 46, 48, 50, two-year-old and I'm thinking that they can have the same work capacity and the same adaptations and so on as somebody who's 22 years old you know and um, you know that sort of thing just comes with time and experience and realizing that everybody's not the same and uh, programs don't work the same on everybody either yeah it's interesting because when you get started you don't really know what kind of elements you should consider so I'm curious what you do in terms of your assessment to figure you know where someone needs more fitness on that on that spectrum yeah, so my uh, assessment process, if you want to even call it that, is extremely simple. I always stick with grassroots as much as I can. And, um, you know, I like... I like troubleshooting by sort of working my way backwards. So first things first, I'll see how the person's moving in just the most general form. Um, I have, you know, maybe four or five legit mobility drills that I like to put my clients through when they're first timers with me. And they end up usually being drills that I end up using for a lot of our warmups and so on going forward. But these are good telling drills. I like the Spider-Man walk. I like uh, the sideline rotations. I like uh, high knee walks and cradle walks and all kinds of things like that. Uh, squat with a reach overhead, all kinds of things like that. You know, pretty basic stuff um, that can really be telling with regards to all your load bearing joints and how mobile you are really and how stable you can be too. Um, and after I see that, then I might jump into actually testing like a primal movement pattern. So your squat, deadlift, overhead press, um, chin up if applicable, uh, a row pattern, and just see how the body moves under light load or under no load even, just to see how uh, the person can 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 move. You know, if I have an advanced client, then that's going to be a piece of cake for them to at least get into the the exercises, and we could troubleshoot from there. And if I have a beginning client, I can still see from, from a grassroots perspective. You know, here's a very light load. Or or a goblet squat or something like that. Let's see what you're doing. And uh, from there, uh, so I've sort of gone, whereas a lot of coaches might do a whole bunch of muscle tests and things like that, I sort of go right to the end point. I want to see how you actually do the exercise itself. So let's take a look at your overhead press. Let's take a look at your squat. Let's take a look at your chin. Let's take a look at your row. And then when I see mechanical breakdowns and so on, then I can start sort of troubleshooting, picking it apart, and then regress, regress, regress. And then we could work our way back up to that in the future. But uh, maybe we have to use bands for this, or we have to use a limited range of motion for that, or we have to use such a such modification in order to sort of serve the client best. Um, I find that that way in terms of just like what can we take away from this is sort of the, the best approach in terms of just a, more of like a subtraction approach rather than sort of going upwards. And uh, that's sort of the way that I've always done things or, or at least the last number of years that's the way I've always done things. And um, it's been pretty useful. It's been pretty successful. So I'm, I'm um, intent on sticking with that. 
No, I 100% agree with you on that. It's really important instead of like, you could look at the single muscle and yeah, maybe you have weakness in part of your delt, but let's see how you perform those movement patterns. Because I say that tells you the most info. Because a lot of times in what I was studying in physio school is, you know, the manual muscle testing and okay, you know, how do we see what greatest strength your bicep has versus, you know, really looking at the bigger picture. And I'm sure you, you, you agree with this as well. You know, everything's connected. It's the whole kinetic chain. Like, Taking one piece out, maybe it's weak in isolation, but in compound in a functional pattern, it can be a very strong, you know, component of that. And I think that's important to look at so we know how our strength training is going to transfer over to other disciplines. But if we're just, you know, as you said, just testing something that's not really applicable, then it's not going to really help us with the, our strength goals long term. Yeah, you know, at um, a medical clinic that I worked at before I went on my own and uh, trained solo, um, I was a trainer at a medical clinic, and um, it's a very, very sort of um, practitionery kind of clinical type of way of looking at things, what you just described, where you might look at a deficiency in a muscle, you might look at a weak link in a, in a chain, and then you start really hammering away at that weak link and saying, okay, well, because this is weak, we shouldn't do this, this, and this because this is weak. And then you start going into very sort of remedial and rehab, uh, rehabilitative and rehab-based movements um, in order to sort of fix the weak link. So the intention there is great, but at the same time, it starts limiting somebody's exposure to using their whole chain and maybe even just exposing in a good way those weak links to the actual thing. Um, so something that I like to say often is that um, you know, and let me think, I, I wrote it down a few times when, I, when I've blogged about it and stuff, but uh, I think that I say that we, our body is as resilient and strong and, you know, that sort of thing. It's as resilient and strong as it is fragile and, you know, injury prone. So we usually always focus, especially in training, as erring on the side of caution and being on the injury prone side where we say, okay, you know what, we shouldn't, we shouldn't injure. We have to look at this weak link. We have to make sure that they're, they're safe and staying safe. We're not going to overhead press at all with this person because of this shoulder problem in his rear deltoid here, here, and here, right? And so then all of a sudden, the entire training sessions go by without any sort of bearing load overhead ever, right? But at the same time, getting somebody to do an overhead press or to test an overhead press or to expose them to this and maybe get them to, I don't know, force them into some positions here and there, it's not going to kill them nine times out of 10. And if we're an astute trainer and we're a wise person and we could sort of gauge things properly and with the right discretion, we can put them in those positions and we can get them to get that exposure to the lift. Um, maybe they just have a problem with their patterning and maybe they're just weak in the lift overall. And that's what causes the problem in the first place. Um, but I think that there's got to be a little bit of a give and take. There's got to be a little bit of a, of treading the line carefully and smartly where we actually do say, Hey, listen, today we're actually going to do this movement and we're going to try to get it really, really good quality. And uh, that's where a lot of people sort of miss the mark and they start sort of uh, being a little bit too ambivalent or a little too overcautious. And they start turning into physiotherapists or chiropractors or rehab specialists rather than actual trainers when the client's goal might be to just get into better general physical shape or may have to lose weight or they might have to uh, build muscle or they might want to be, um, you know, just lose a couple of percent body fat or whatever it is. And, um, you know, that sort of, those sort of goals at some point are going to take a little bit more rigorous training than just, you know, physiotherapy based or rehab based movements. Um, so the people that I find have the most, that I have the most respect for are the best at sort of, uh, achieving both at the same time. 
they'll mind the weak links, they'll address the problems, but it'll be sort of encapsulated within a great quality workout that gets the job done from a calorie burn perspective and whatever else, that, that hard stuff that we need. If you work at a desk job and want to move pain-free, look and feel your best, let's get the conversation started to see if you could be a good fit for David's coaching program. Connect with us through all the social platforms and see the show notes below. Now, you really hit the, the nail on the head there when, it, when you talked about the quality because I think that's really important is, you know, you can start working on having quality movement in that movement pattern, even if it's unloaded. And I think that's going to help a lot with that mindset coming back from injury or whether you don't have an injury and you're just trying to get stronger and you're a little bit discouraged because, you know, maybe you didn't have the best form. You had a little bit of discomfort, but it's going to help you get over that block because I know it's really hard to come back from an injury and be like, oh, I can't do that. Like I had that for years. I had a shoulder issue and I was just afraid to press because I'm like, I don't want to, you know, re-aggravate it. And that really set me back a lot because my movement patterns in the press sucked because I was just doing, you know, pulling and horizontal pushing. And it's, it's really important. That's something I believe in is, you know, it's going to make you more prone for injury, avoiding movement patterns than it is to, you know, the ones you're not doing are the ones that, you know, could likely cause injury because you're not, your body has no exposure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about half squatting or squatting to partial ranges and whatnot. <clears throat> and uh, that's a really, really good one to, uh, to analyze because, um, you know, depending for me anyway, depending on the goal, my thought process, depending on the goal of the lifter is how deep they should really squat. So if somebody wants to you know a lot of quad activation, for example, versus somebody who wants a lot of glute activation, the depth is going to differ from here, from one goal to the other. Um, somebody's thinking about trying to train their, their back musculature a lot more compared to, um, you know, just focusing more on the legs, all kinds of things like that. If someone has bad knees versus somebody who has great knees, um, all those things are going to affect squat depth. And uh, what, what, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Depth you choose to use. Um, but that's the key point within that is that you should be able to have the ability to exercise choice in squatting. So when somebody is immobile and they cannot squat past 90 degrees or even above 90 degrees, they can barely even break parallel at all. And if they did, then they'd get injured or something like that. Well, we have a problem because we don't want the person to stop at 90 because there's no chance in, in possible um, execution that they can go below 90 degrees. We want them to be able to achieve a full range of motion squat and then at that point choose that they're, yep, today I'm going to stop at 90 degrees because I want to train for this particular purpose. So people run into problems when they're constantly repeating a pattern and that pattern is done with insufficient range of motion because they lack mobility or flexibility or even strength in the, in the right areas in order to, to pull them into that range properly. And they continue to compound that lift over and over and add more weight and more weight. And so then you get the guys at the gym who are squatting 400 pounds, but they're barely even getting down to a quarter of the depth. And so um, when they end up bearing load in any way, even with body weight and some kind of a slip, for example, and their knee enters a deep range of motion flexion, well, all of a sudden they've broken something or all of a sudden they've torn a tendon, they've ruptured something or they've got an ACL and out goes some sort of connective tissue and they get injured. Um, this is a perfect demonstration of somebody who has not been exposed in any way, shape or form to the ranges of motion that their body is capable of achieving or their body should be capable of achieving. And um, this is a huge thing that, that I'd like to warn people against is they don't fall into that trap of using partial range of motion and excusing the fact that your mobility cannot handle more. 
Um, find what you can to do uh, things with full range of motion and then backtrack from there and work on your partial ranges and do your partial reps and your half reps and all that sort of stuff if you want to. But uh, where, where you can, get that full range of motion. Train with that full range of motion when you can as well. It's going to be helpful for you. And also, too, I find, you know, adding some sort of loaded mobility movement, whether it's, you know, if you have trouble for me, like I have trouble getting down like ATG and a squat if I'm just, you know, doing an air squat. Whereas if I held the kettlebell in front of me because of the weight transfer, I can get, you know, ATG and keep my back straight. So sometimes it's about using the loads appropriately to assist with the mobility. And then, as you said, to just kind of help you sink into that movement and then build that control up. Yeah, big time. Um, loaded stretches, that's what I like to call them. Um, those are the types of things that are going to really push you down into a greater range of motion. Uh, when I squat myself, like and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this who are listening in, uh, when I squat myself, uh, when I do my set with body weight and the empty bar, it usually doesn't look that nice. It never uh, it's does. It's all over the place. Yeah, the bar, the bar is on your back, but you're pitching forward like crazy in my case. Knees don't feel great just yet, and the back is rounding, and your heels are coming up a little bit and all sorts of just terrible stuff. And then as soon as I put 25s on the bar, so I'm squatting 95 pounds, all of a sudden it cleans right up and it looks fantastic, you know, and this isn't something that you should rely on, but it is something that can definitely help in terms of just uh, when you're preparing for your heavier sets, your warm up sets matter a whole lot. And um, if there's people out there who are in the habit of warming up with anything more than the empty bar to start, then you should really seriously consider consider what you're doing. Um, every set should all, every workout should always start with the empty bar for your squat, overhead press, bench press, deadlift. Those barbell lifts, 100% start with the empty bar or lighter. Um, get that patterning on, get that groove proper and uh, warm up and lubricate those synovial joints and whatnot. And then you're going to feel so much better when you start loading your way up and ramping your way up to your working sets. But if somebody's got a 225 bench press and they're putting 195 on the bar for their first warm up set, this is not the way to train. And this is a way to get hurt and get injured. And uh, especially if you start getting older and older and you're still doing that stuff, it's a great way to just uh, really, really screw yourself up. So just a little bit of food for thought as a side note, and please warm up properly. No, warm-ups are huge. And especially like coming from that background where I was doing gymnastics, I would always, you know, we would stretch for like 25, 30 minutes before the workouts. And I, I carried that with me into my training. So earlier in my career as a trainer, I would just do, you know, a bit of, I would like to, you know, stretch everything. So I do a bit of dynamic for the upper body and the lower body. And then as I started to learn more about, you know, functional range control and active strength, I started doing more like mobility movements and stuff like inchworms and stuff like that and open book stretches. So I find like, I like to really work on the mobility and pattern that, for example, like if I'm going to be doing some pressing, I work on something like, you know, my, my scapula pushups. Cause that's really, for me, I really like having a really solid mind muscle connection. So I like to just go through that movement patterns. I find it's not only gets me mentally ready to lift those weights, but I just start my body's like primed and knows what I want to do versus when, if you just like throw 195 on the bar, like your body's like, what the hell are you doing? We were just sitting at the desk. Now we're going to go pump some weights. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, again, like I can't drive this home enough like that, that that progression that you're talking about is very important. All those different inchworms and core activation drills and scapular pushups and those kinds of exercises, they're going to be worth their weight in gold. More so if you spend longer and longer a on this earth, but b working, say, a desk job and things like that, where you're repeating long days of certain held positions for a long period of time, like 
you could work out all the time. That's still working against you if you're spending longer and longer doing it. So, you know, when you're 24 or 23 or 26, even like th those kinds of ages, you don't really feel that sort of thing. Um, but when you're, you know, even my, I'm 33, when someone's 40, 50, like there's a huge difference there in terms of the act, the, the act of training and how it's going to affect you and the act of neglecting things like your mobility and other elements of your fitness, flexibility, your stretching, your mobility work, those kind of drills, um, and, and your warmups between, uh, between, sorry, your warmups leading up to your sets and so on, if you're working weight, um, all that stuff's going to become that much more important for you. And, um, yeah, I, I can speak from personal experience, not only as somebody who's not 21 anymore, but also somebody who's been very seriously injured. And as somebody who, uh, you know, who's been in the game lifting weights for quite some time now, and since lifting properly anyway, since I was around 19 or 20. Um, and, and these kinds of things, the, the body changes and the body doesn't have as much resilience as it once did. Um, and even somebody, even if I wasn't injured, there'd still be so much more wear and tear on my joints just because of the fact that I'm a decade and change deep into this stuff. And um, that's how we really want to think about this, because if our end goal is to be 55 and 60 and 65 and 75 lifting weights and still really killing it in the gym and having some great workouts that are impressive for anyone who's watching it as well, then uh, we got to look at things from a different perspective, take care of ourselves now. It's just like putting money in a bank for your retirement. You know, you got to invest the right ways. You got to make sure that you're being uh, frugal with your money and you're, you're dealing with spending the correct way and you're not making stupid decisions early on. And that's going to reward you later on in the future when you have a lot more comfort in your life and your lifestyle as a result of the work that you put in now. Yeah, it's really interesting when we talk about wear and tear because there's definitely ways to avoid it. But even like relating to your experience, like I've, I've not been able to get back to where I was and, you know, some of my lips say, for example, my squat bench and deadlift coming back from injuries, whereas now I'm just kind of changing my focus. And I'm really appreciating taking those active rest days more in the past. Like I was just like resent rest days when I was started working out when I was in my teens. And now for me, it's just like I woke up today. I wanted to go for a run. My body is not feeling anything. I'm super sore from my push day yesterday. Everything's sore. So it's something I'm really starting to appreciate more is, you know, I want to be able to work out next week. I don't want to be sore, you know, and in pain during the weekend. So I really like take that approach where, you know, it's okay to skip a workout if you're listening to your body. And I think a lot of people need to understand that is, you know, your body doesn't necessarily need three, four, five workouts a week to make change and to get stronger, but you're really getting stronger by, you know, prioritizing that rest, prioritizing that mobility. Something I do is I'll just, you know, even if it's a rest day, I'll just go through my warm up that I would do, say, if it's for a workout I like, because I try to incorporate my daily mobility into the warm up itself. So that way, like, I'm moving every day, but I'm not just, you know, allowing myself to just keep pushing past that soreness. Because eventually, that if we're not using it as a sign that the soreness your body needs to recover, that we're just going to, you know, kick the can down the road and eventually we're going to have some aches. Whereas, you know, I want to still be doing calisthenics when I'm 55 as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you said so much stuff there that's so um, so important for people to recognize. But uh, yes, yeah, so like the importance, like another another thing, uh, just as an offshoot of exactly what you're talking about. So going through, um, you know, a rest day or going through a recovery day and stuff like that, you know, we have to remember that Again, if we're not 18 or 19, you know, living at home with no vehicle and no rent to pay or no mortgage to pay and no children and no 
spouse and all that stuff. All that stuff that I just listed are potential sources of elevated responsibility for sure and elevated stress levels as well, you know? And so these things can affect the amount of stress that you have, your cortisol levels, all that stuff as well. And these things can definitely affect things like your sleep patterns too. You know, you can't tell me that somebody who's got, you know, twin boys, for example, who are both a year old, are, is going to be getting as much restful sleep every night as somebody who's a 21-year-old who lives at home who's just a student, you know? So these kinds of things are going to have a huge effect on just how much training you can actually get done, how, uh, how much accomplishment you can get out of your training, and uh, how quickly you'll recover once you're training as well. Um, you know, there's just that, that alone, not having a high-stress job versus having no job. Those kinds of things are going to be huge as far as uh, the difference makers when it comes to how much uh, recovery and how well you take to your training and so on. Um, so I think that that's something that needs to be considered. And when it comes to, you know, your, your own training, your own goals and so on, especially if the difference between the two examples that I gave is also like a couple of decades, maybe somebody who's 40 versus someone who's 20. Um, these are things that we have to really think about and we have to do what we can and be realistic at the same time. So if it means taking a back off from your workout, if it means deviating from your difficult program for the day, because physiologically, you're just not feeling it. Or if it means, you know, even modifying a certain couple of aspects within your workout, so you can train more intuitively and be a little bit more, um, you know, on point and in tune with your own body and what it really needs and how it responds to stuff. That's great. I ran track in university, I ran track for a club as well outside of university. And I ran track in high school. When I was in uh, my club uh, track, or even in university track, the thing that was interesting was, I didn't realize back then that I couldn't, I thought that a program was a program, which means we had practices, practices Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well. Um, for track workouts, which are usually around three hours long, all things, equal, all things considered, that's a lot of training. That's a lot of training, especially when you're a busy student as well and you're trying to hold down a part-time job and all that stuff. It's a lot of training. Some athletes, some of the kids, they could handle it no problem. And I was somebody who was always super sore and always by week, by, by Friday or Saturday, I was destroyed. I could barely even run. My body was just trash. Some people don't respond quite as well to high frequency training as other people, even if they do have great nutrition, even if they do have fantastic recovery and so on, you know, my nutrition could still, could have stood to approve for sure. But even in the gym now, I've never been somebody who's responded very, very well to training hard five, six, seven days per week, every single week. I might have one good week where it's like that. And then the next week I might have three wicked workouts. And then the fourth one is light. And then the fifth one I skip, for example, or something along those lines. So, um, you know, everybody's a little bit different. There's a lot of people who have a much higher work capacity than others. And there's some people who are going to get more results from actually training less with all things the same. Um, and so, you know, overtraining, I believe is a thing. Um, even more of a thing is under recovering. And I think that that's something or a little bit of a trap that a lot of people will fall into and they got to really watch out for that. So, um, you know, take it easy sometimes if it needs to be down to maybe four workouts a week instead of six, then do that. And it's going to make sure that things stay sustainable. Once again, it's something that you can keep on replicating week after week after week. Um, something that I like to tell my clients as simple as it is, especially if they're struggling to get back into the gym or if they're struggling to get started in the first place, if they've never been to the gym, I just say this, dude, just 
train every other day. Start with an every other day thing. If you train on Monday, don't train Tuesday, then train on Wednesday and keep on going. That means that on week one, you'll get four workouts in and a week two, you'll get three workouts in. And you'll know that it's going to be a very easy schedule for you to keep on sticking to as well because you'll remember when you trained and when you didn't. And, uh, you know, you can, you can take it like that. Maybe do a three-day rotation and keep on cycling through. And uh, it's just the easiest thing for somebody to adhere to. And uh, it doesn't cause too much stress and they don't have to worry about, you know, three days on, one day off, two days on and all that sort of thing. And it just keeps it simple and it keeps them uh, pretty accountable while still being very realistic at the same time. And it's a good place for people to start. Yeah, for sure. And it's also adapting that. So your, you know, fitness enhances your lifestyle. It doesn't become your entire life because that's a, a trap I've made. Like I used to be, you know, you know, gym, 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 eat healthy, you know, don't go out so I can get a lot of sleep. Don't enjoy yourself. And then I've been on the other spectrum where I, in my first year of undergrad, I would train hard, you know, do the push pull legs, train six times a week, then, you know, party on the weekends and not get any recovery. So I really think fitness needs to be something where if you're just jumping on a program, that program might not fit or suit your lifestyle. There's so many things to consider, you know, and that component you brought up about stress levels is huge. You know, you need to, that can affect your, you psychologically going into the workouts. Like you might just not be able to, to be feeling it. And you might not be able to recover from those workouts where personally it's taken me like 10 years to figure out, you know, I, I like doing, you know, low volume, higher frequency. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing, you know, three, four days a week, but it's like 30, 45 minutes. And I respond a lot better to that. Just, you know, keeping the intensity higher. Yeah. Um, and just that's a perfect demonstration of just being intuitive with everything and realizing that your body responds best to one thing versus another. Um, so yeah, no, a hundred percent agree with all of that. It's, it's got to be individualized and it's got to sort of reflect where you are in your life, not only in terms of just your calendar age, but also in terms of just like what's going on in your life. And uh, the nervous system, it's a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Complicated. You know, it's a for very, sure. very, it's, de it's delicate and it's complicated and we have to treat it the right way and we have to approach things the right way with it in first mind when it comes to especially especially strength training whereas not i'm not talking about size training i'm not talking about uh conditioning but strength especially um it, it, this is the most demanding thing that our nervous system is ever going to have to deal with in terms of really really dialing in and being able to pull something that's your three repetition maximum three times, hundreds of pounds off the ground. Now, these kinds of things we need to be on point for. Now, you're not going to PR after a three-hour night of sleep. You know, you're not going to PR if you haven't had anything to eat that's of substance nutritionally for the entire week and so on. Like these are the times when you have to get out of our own heads and we have to realize that our performance isn't going to be uh, top tier and on point all the time, especially when these circumstances are considered. Um, you know, the best athletes in the world have off days, the best athletes in the world take rest days. So what does that say about us whose job is not to train? We're not, we have other things and other priorities to deal with. And, um, you know, there's going to be off days, off weeks, there might even be bad months. So if we're, if our goal is really to not think about having a retirement age, like how an NBA player will be done around age 40, you know, we're not going to be done around age 40. We're going to be continuing to train and train and train until we're 60, 70, 80, 90. And so with that said, what reserves do we need to leave in the tank? What things do we need to leave in store in order to make that last? 
Um, it's a great way to think about things and it's a real perspective shift that can uh, shock a lot of people when they look within and they realize that there's, uh, there's more to it than just you know, hitting these numbers and pushing the PRs and so on. So what are some things people should focus on? Because I know you talk a lot about like doing things for the long haul and avoiding those PRs because it can really kind of put you in a bad place. So number one, I've got to say the mobility, of course. Uh, mobility is going to be the big, the big major factor. Um, when people don't have the ability to make their bodies move in as many degrees around a certain joint, um, and make muscles activate that's supposed to activate to pull a muscle into the full ranges of motion and so on, um, that's when you sort of run into problems. And it's usually a product of immobility at some junction, some joint somewhere um, that causes a whole bunch of other problems too. Now, depending on how far down the rabbit hole it goes, you might have bigger problems to deal with that don't have to do with just improving mobility anymore. You know, you might need surgery on certain stuff or whatnot. You might have an acute injury that really throws you off and so on. But if you can really get used to moving well and then getting stronger while still moving well, you're probably going to be in a good place to start out. Um, on top of that, are we looking at just more than one plane of motion or are we looking at just one plane of motion when we're training? That's a big one. So the squat, the deadlift, bench, overhead press, lunges, all these kinds of exercises that we're very used to doing, rows, all that stuff, these are sagittal plane movements. That's dealing with up and down and forward and backward and that's it. So if we want to think about things from a rotational, the transverse plane, you know, rotating exercises, your side, your split stance or your half kneeling side med, med ball wall throws, for example, is a good example of one of those things. Um, you know, a wood chopper exercise that trans, crosses through that transverse plane as well. These are important ones, too. If we want to think about the lateral plane as well things like a Copenhagen plank or things like a lateral lunge, these kinds of exercises are going to be very important so that we can apply forces and resist forces that are coming from the sides instead of just coming from straight up and down or straight forward and backward. So I would say that uh, those are the two first things that I would say is uh, get out of the plane of just sagittal and focus on mobility work. Those are going to be huge. Um, third, I would say, of course, like we talked about, those 11 components of, of uh, fitness, strength being one, um, you know, we got to look at our conditioning. We got to look at our cardio. We got to do some balance work in there. We got to do a little bit of work for our reaction time, some agility work as well. We got to look at our body composition and see whether or not there's certain things we need to clean up in our diet, for example, or there are certain things that we need to train differently in order to get a little bit of body fat count out and so on. So that's another big one. Um, so looking at those kind of key changes first, it's going to give you a little bit more of a rounded balance to your fitness and health, and it's going to make you probably feel a whole lot better at the same time. You bring up something I'm really passionate about because I do believe like, especially deskbound professionals, we, we live in the sagittal plane. We're eating, driving, sitting, you know, walking upstairs, you know, typing. It's all sagittal plane and people just think fitness like are those, you know, those three main lifts. Whereas I find, you know, getting stuck in that trap is what can cause a lot of our injuries is that muscle imbalance. Like if we don't move in the other planes, our body was, you know, designed to do fundamentally, then it's going to affect all those fundamentals we've talked about earlier. A hundred percent. And um, so that's why we got to look at things in terms of just being able to apply forces and bear loads from multiple directions. You know, if our shoulder can do this action right here, then why aren't we training in some way in that action? Why are we only doing presses overhead like this? You know, and so uh, we've got to look at things in terms of more about movement and functionality than we have to think of than thinking about just muscles themselves. 
And another point that I want to bring up as well in terms of another starting point for people, um, a good way to, to get that long haul health, I'll call it that sustainable long haul kind of training, um, is thinking about it not in terms of weight lifted or in terms of progressive overload, not thinking about it from a numerical perspective, thinking about it in terms of rate of perceived exertion instead. So when you start gearing a workout or gauging a workout based on your own personal rate of perceived exertion, it changes the scale, the landscape a whole lot in terms of even your methodologies or your, your modalities that you're using to get your workout in. So my point being, let's say that you can squat 400 pounds. Well, how can I make 185 pounds feel like 400 pounds? What can I do in terms of the way that I perform the repetitions or the way that I engineer my workout itself to still feel like I was working just as hard? But at the same time, I'll be sparing my joints to a whole lot of headache from the fact that we're lifting way less weight. So things like that. And a good example of how I would approach that would be maybe shortening my rest interval, maybe applying a huge tempo to my workouts, maybe applying uh, paused reps to my workouts or to my sets. All kinds of things like that could make a lighter weight feel a lot heavier. Um, I like the challenge of being in a poorly equipped gym or in a condo gym or something like that where I don't have access to a full, uh, you know, set of 100-pound dumbbells and all that stuff. And all it says, all I got is it goes up to 50. So what am I going to do for my bench press workout if I was planning on doing sets of 10 with the 100s? Well, maybe I'll do some slow tempos with the 50s, or I'll do one and a half reps with the 50s, or paused reps with the 50s, or I'll compound set those 50s with some push-ups or other body weight work, and other stuff like that that's going to just positively impact my health and wellness in a great way. And I'm not so focused on the number and focused on really, really loading up with all this heavy weight all the time. And um, this is going to be a great way for you to challenge your weights or sorry, challenge your joints in a great way that doesn't involve as heavy weight. And, um, you know, it's going to be pretty functional for you as well. So is, is there a way that you can maintain your, your strength training and lift heavy while minimizing that wear and tear? Because I understand that we, we both agree that progressive overload is super important and obviously slowly increasing the weight. Like you don't want to increase your bench 50 pounds in one month because, you know, your tendons and connective tissue won't have that capability. But is there some sort of like, I don't want to say continuum, but a way people can still, would you suggest they just work with the tempo and bands and stuff like that? Or instead of just constantly just trying to be in the mindset if they have to get stronger in terms of the numbers? Well, look, I think that this is a loaded question because first of all, usually somebody's max effort and when it approaches their max effort for the squat bench deadlift, especially it starts looking not quite perfect as we, as far this as is very goes. true. And, and if we're goal, like it really depends on what the nature of your goal is. If your goal is truly to get stronger and stronger and stronger, well then at some point you're going to have to be stuck using that progressive method, overload method. And there's not really any ways around it. And there are different aids that you can use in order to sort of get through sticking points and, you know, functional isometrics, overcoming isometrics, um, band work, chain work, et cetera, et cetera. And that's great. You can do cluster reps and cluster sets and so on. And so it's going to make a, give you ways to sort of push that threshold and get more out of your repetitions that you're doing. And, and that's all great. These are all tools that I've used personally and I've used with clients as well. But we have to sort of reassess the idea of how strong is strong enough. When can we get to a point where we say, okay, you know, I have the strength that I need, I have the strength that is impressive, and I have strength that is going to be good for the long 
term. And now I have to think about something else here. Um, so for me, maximizing my strength personally, it's not something that's been on my mind for a number of years now, um, except for, of course, getting back to where I was before my major injury that I got. But outside of that, you know, my bench numbers, even my squat numbers, my, my deadlift numbers, my overhead press numbers, like I spent years lifting very heavy. And so from that perspective, I'm pretty good. And so I've been really focused on challenging other aspects of my fitness in order to really, really, um, you know, make sure that I'm not walking around hurt all the time or make sure that that weight that I could lift, it sticks around forever. So instead of constantly thinking about getting stronger and getting stronger and stronger, how about getting strong and then sort of staying strong for as long as possible? And that's a little perspective shift that I like to use. And I think that um, for a lot of people out there, if they're in the place where they're lifting hundreds of pounds off the ground and they're pressing hundreds of pounds away from their chest and so on, if you don't compete, and you're not a competitive weightlifter in some form, then you got to ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing and when do you know to stop and change things up a little bit. And that's going to be the real answer towards uh, getting somebody, uh, you know, in a good place where they're strong for a very long time. It reminds me of a convo I was having with a, a friend earlier this week. We're talking about goals and how, you know, why are we always focused on getting stronger or getting to our long-term goal? Like at what point can we just, you know, focus on, enjoying the process and really appreciating it. Like, I think this might've been one of my clients. He's talking about like, should I always focus on my long-term goal or should I just be, you know, grateful for how strong I am right now? And it really made me think about it. I was like, you know what? Like one of my goal right now is to do a front lever and, you know, I'm just, and at the same time, that's my, my goal, but I'm super grateful that, you know, I feel like I'm the strongest I've ever been. And I'm like, I'm now I have much more appreciation when I enter my workouts. I'm like, you know, I'm really strong. This is just, you know, this is fun. Let's step, let's step back about why I got started into this. Cause you don't always need to think of that, that goal. Like if you're just dragging your ass through the workouts and not enjoying it, then what, what's the point, right? So be really just to, you know, be strong enough. It's a huge, and a lot of people who hear that, they might think, oh, this guy's copping out. This guy's this guy's making excuses and this, that, and the third. It's not about excuses. It's not about anything like that. It's very, very incidental to young lifters, especially, and immature lifters. And I don't mean people who have a problem. I just mean people who lack that maturation or the maturity because of not enough years spent doing it yet, um, who will think that strength training and PRs and your numbers and killing it at the gym every single time you go there and and all the quotes that we can think of, walk in, crawl out, pain is weakness, leaving the body and blah, 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 that all these things are real life and all these things matter and so on. And we take inspiration from a lot of, you know, competitive bodybuilders and a lot of competitive powerlifters and weightlifters and so on. And sure, all that stuff is cool. An intense workout is cool. All that stuff is great and it can be motivating and it can really, really uh, be a kick in the pants for somebody who might be unmotivated, for example, and so on. But at the same time, we have to know when to draw the line and realize that there's more to it than just that. And it feels so much better for a lot of people if they're not competitive people, for example, if they're not competitive lifters or whatnot, um, it feels so much better for a lot of people when they make that transition from beating themselves up for missing a PR or for having a weak workout or whatnot to enjoying the fact that they had a, a workout that they were able to scale back and they still found a way to make that workout feel great given the circumstances that they were placed in, you know? So yeah, I had 90% max effort deadlifts to do. And then I was going to do weighted chin-ups and then I was going to do weighted dips for a nice full push pull workout. And it's going to be awesome. But then my deadlifts, my back and knee wasn't feeling that great today. 
And, you know, for the weighted chins, I was just plain weak. And by the time we got to dips, I was just depleted of everything. And I also had a bad sleep the night before and I didn't have breakfast yet. So here's how I'm going to change it up. I did the deadlifts, my back and knees started feeling bad, so I scaled it way back. And instead I did RDLs with dumbbells. And then afterwards, I still had to do weighted chin-ups. I decided to do them body weight instead for a few more repetitions, and I added a couple sets to that. So it still felt great, and I got a wicked pump. And then after that, I had to do weighted dips, but I was so tired. So instead of doing weighted dips, I just decided to do a French press instead and hit the triceps real good. And I superset that with close grip push-ups. Totally different workout. Totally different goals even that workout creates for some. Somebody. But at the same time, it still makes you leave the gym not feeling like you wasted your time and it still makes you leave the gym feeling accomplished. And that's the real key. Um, it's not you, you, you forgot all about the fact that you were supposed to hit a PR deadlift for the day when you start thinking about different ways around things. So you can still occupy that time uh, purposefully, but still having a really, really good and solid workout at the same time. A lot of, lot of jam packed, really great advice there for sure. And it's true because a lot of the times too, like it's not doing a specific exercise or a specific workout that's going to paint the entire picture of what is going to get you results when it comes to your fitness goals. Like it's really like having that individualized approach and, you know, even being intuitive is what's going to get you the results. Like auto-regulation is so, so huge. And a lot of people are like, this workout is going to help me build muscle. And if I change anything, I'm not going to build any muscle. Whereas that could be in fact completely wrong yeah um you know the workouts themselves that's like 40 percent of it when it comes to how much muscle you're going to build or how you know how much how well you're going to perform and so on you know we have to forget it we have to not forget about the fact that like getting stronger like the workout is supposed to break muscles down it's up to you to build the muscle back up outside of the gym based on the things that you do and the habits that you take on and create you know so whether your goal is to get stronger or have a more better performance and so on we got to train in a way that's going to train us number one but number two outside the gym how are we recovering how are we resting what's our nutrition like are we supplementing with anything if that calls for it all these things are going to be important what are our stress levels like what's our what are, what are our what are our triggers outside um you know are we staying up really late are we partying hard are we over training are we under training are we respecting that recovery all those things are going to come in hugely important when it comes to whether a goal is to get stronger, whether a goal is to attain fat loss, whether a goal is to get bigger muscles, um, you know, whether a goal is even just general conditioning. And, um, you know, I just, I, I have to think pretty far back now in terms of the days when I was really focused on, especially like the strength or size goals compared to other stuff. You know, it's just, it's just so much more relaxing when you don't have these direct goals about, you know, these numbers need to be met and I need to get this 550 pound deadlift by this time and so on when really no one cares if you don't hit it and it shouldn't matter. And you're lifting 500 and something pounds off the ground. That's a lot of weight. And you're probably narrowly escaping an injury with every repetition that you do at that weight. So the better way for you to go for it is to maybe take things down a notch, maybe change up the goal, change up the perspective, maybe even change up the way in which you're training in terms of, you know, instead of deadlifting that way, maybe you do a one and a half rep deadlift or a pause deadlift instead with 300 pounds and you're sparing everybody a huge headache when it comes to, uh, you know, your joints, your, your uh, connective tissue, all that stuff. So 
don't know. Like, just when it comes to all of the, these kinds of things, when it comes to these kinds of goals and having lofty aspirations for as much progressive overload and so on, we got we to gotta think about this twice. We got to look at things from a broader picture and from a longer term perspective. And when we do, we'll usually answer the questions that we had for our own selves. And uh, it's, it's the smart thing to do. Yeah, for sure. You also have to think of, you know, I really like how we're talking about how you want to be. It's not just, you know, six months from now getting that strength goal, but it's really like, where do you want to be 10 years from now is, is really huge is, is reminding people to look at the long term when it comes to that. Because everyone, a lot of people just want, you know, look good now, but they don't think of, you know, you're, what, at what cost are you achieving this goal? Like how many, is this going to cause you injuries? Is this going to cause you more stress? Is it going to take away from other things you like? Like everything's going to have a cost. So you have to make sure you're, you're making the right calculations here when, you know, whether it's, you know, what are you training seven days a week? What is that taking away from your life? Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of different examples here, but I think that's something people really should consider is, is not necessarily the cost, but you know, like at what, what is going on for you to achieve that? Yeah, it's very easy for somebody to fall into exactly the things that you said. Um, me in particular, like the whole, I want to have, you know, this result as soon as possible, or I want to look this way now, or I want to get leaner now, or I want to get this or that strength gain now and so on you know yeah i'm so much off of strength right now in terms of like trying to push these prs but i still train to maintain strength which means that i'm still lifting heavy quite often and uh you know i'm always going to be concerned with you know body composition and so on i'm always trying to challenge by way of conditioning and trying to find good methods that will maintain or create the lean body and body fat percentage and so on people are going to train for aesthetics it's not vanity it's not insecurity aesthetics is you train because people look good from training and so people would like to look good and so that's it um so all those kinds of things they're going to factor in and it's very easy in popular culture and with the world that we live in and so on to want the results as soon as humanly possible and so we'll train and we'll train harder and we'll train harder and so on now the other thing is if you have a period of time where you have the opportunity to train harder than others we have to remember that there's going to be a period of time where that doesn't continue on or that we we're not going to be able to maintain that i'm a perfect example of that right now because during covid and all this stuff i have so many more hours in the day to work out and train and so i've been going very often you know i'm taking six days on one day off that sort of thing now i said earlier that i don't respond that great to high uh, frequency training and so on well my circumstances have changed my circumstances allow me to get eight hours of sleep every single night my circumstances allow me from, to not have to wake up at 4.55 a.m. for my first client and so on. Um, I can time out my meals and my diet and everything like that is way better. And so all of those things are, are factoring in as well. So it's enabling me to not have my typical lifestyle, which would sort of create a little bit more barricades or barriers for me, for me to actually be able to train um, as frequently and train as well and adapt to it as well as I could. So Knowing this, you know, COVID in some ways has sort of been helpful in terms of creating a different uh, norm for the time being. But I do know that, that, you know, whenever this comes to a close and gyms get back to full force and the city goes back to the way it should be, that things are going to be different. And I'm not going to be able to try to sustain training six days in a row or seven days in a row and then taking one day off and so on and having two and three hour workouts and, and, and that sort of thing, which is in truth what's, uh, what I've been up to these days. So you know, we all have to take things into perspective and we have to realize that um, 
you know, in the name of sustainability, we have to, even if we do have windows or pockets of time where we can really, really push it, know that this is not going to be something that's forever. And, you know, there's going to be that sort of ebb and flow, that crescent trough, crescent trough when it comes to our training uh, sustainability and consistency. And that's what's going to sort of build our long-term training uh, outlook, I guess, or spectrum, for lack of a better term. And, um, yeah, the real answer is just to not have any periods of time where we totally fall off and quit because that's when things get the hardest for us to bounce back. So we want to make sure that if we're training hard, maybe the next month I'm going to take it a little bit easier or I'm going to focus on other elements of training. Maybe I'll start running a lot more than before. Maybe I'll do some sprint work more often and, and change it up in that way or have a body weight training day. So I'm not lifting heavy all the time. I'm not all the gym weight room floor all the time either. Um, so yeah, no, we just have to really, really, it's sort of like thinking intuitively, but not just workout to workout on more of like a, a, a mesocycle approach where it's like across the board. So not just in the micro, but in the, in the bigger picture too. How are we, how are we looking at our, our next two months of training versus our, just our next hour of training? The maintaining strength is so underrated, dropping a lot, a lot of knowledge bombs here. Cause a lot of people like, like, to understand that maintaining strength is so important to prevent injury because like i don't i don't know where it was from but i heard you know when you take that week or two weeks off for vacation when you come back if you don't do anything that's when you're at your highest risk of injuries when you know you start to go back to you know you were benching to 25 you go on vacation two weeks off like maybe that can injure you now so it's, it's really good to just you know appreciate what you have and be okay with maintaining your strength and maybe even you know lifting the same weights but you know less rest lower RP. That's extremely underrated and huge advice right there. Yeah. Um, especially like certain people are going to be better at certain lifts than others as well. And so you use the bench press as an example. Personally, um, I like, there'll be periods of the year where I could bench press really heavy for like, like I will hit the great numbers and so on. And then there are other periods of the year where like, it doesn't take much for my bench press numbers to nosedive. Uh, compared to other lifts especially um and so if i'm not focused on benching or it's not part of what i have in my system for the time being um well then i'm not going to be benching three something and 350 and all that stuff there, there's no way it'll be like 270 gives me a hard time you know and those kinds of things we have to come to expect them it all depends on how we're sort of uh, making our program work for us and uh, how much time we're willing to put into a certain lift and it's easy for someone to get discouraged by that if they you know take a week off for example and then they hit the gym again or they take some time away from a particular exercise and then they hit that exercise again and it's all the way in a totally different place than it was we have to remember that at the end of the day none of this stuff really matters so if we're already strong enough to move our body weight in multiple directions, for example, I'm two, 260, bench 260, squat 260, deadlift 260, and I do it for a few repetitions here and there, well, then that's already a great start. So now it's a question of maybe instead of thinking about getting stronger and stronger and stronger, we know that we have that baseline and we know that we can probably pull and push a whole lot more if we've been training for long enough or we training for higher PRs. That's great. So now what are we going to do with that 225 or 260 or whatever that we couldn't do before? Maybe we find a new rep PR for it, or maybe we find a new tempo PR style for it, or we find a new paused rep, like just different things that can make that weight work for us in a better way and uh, use that RPE to our advantage. So um, just generally speaking, I think that looking at things from what we can do with our sub-maximal loads and how we can diversify our training in those ways, it's going to sort of pay the most dividends to our training than just being able to say, oh, today I bench pressed 365 before my PR was 360. So, 
you know, it's, it, that's, that's so that can only get you so far. Awesome. Awesome stuff so far. So we're going to finish off with my favorite segment, the rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Just give me a quick response from the top of your head. So my first one for you is who is your greatest inspiration and why? Um, Mark Ripto is the first name that came to mind because of how methodical he is in teaching the primal movement patterns and how clear his explanations are and how difficult they are to argue because he uses physics and logic very, very well. And he's a great with his cues. And so that really, really shaped the foundation for um, a lot of the ways that I explain exercises too, especially those big lifts like your squat, bench, dead, overhead press, and uh, chin up and clean, those, those major lifts. So um, yeah, no, I, that's, that's probably the first name that comes to mind there. Yeah, he's definitely a pioneer for sure. So what is your morning routine? Like, I know obviously it's changed a bit during COVID, but what is something you do, you know, to help you get in that mindset to start the day? Um, I don't really have anything specific to answer with that one. Honestly, you know, I'll get up and I'll have my, do a few mobility drills, to be honest with you. I like doing a deep squat first thing in the morning. It really gets uh, sort of like the, the joints going and whatnot. And uh, especially since I've been pretty seriously injured, um, that's really important for the knees. So um, that's, that's really all I can say. A little bit of mobility. But other than that, I sort of just, I sort of just get going. Uh, when I'm being good, I like to have a green tea in the morning as well. And um, that sort of uh, creates a nice little energy boost too. I'm not a coffee guy, so that's about it. Yeah, I got some green juice right here. We're, we're keeping it coffee-free this week. So what is something you'd recommend deskbound professionals do every day? Postural work, I'll say. And uh, when I say postural work, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to do stuff with weights themselves, but doing things with resistance bands, I don't think that there's any way that somebody can overtrain their upper back. And that's the muscle, those are the muscles I'm talking about when I talk about posture. So, you know, grab a resistance band or lie flat on the floor on your, on your stomach and do different exercises that are going to help engage those upper back muscles. It's going to be huge. Um, people who are checking out YouTube, my name, you could check out um, uh, the Lava Clap. Lava Clap is a great postural exercise. And it sounds like gibberish, but just type in Lee Boyce Lava Claps on YouTube and you're going to see a great plate transfer exercise that's going to be great for the postural uh, posterior chain muscles and uh, it's going to be good for uh, mobility as well the shoulder joints so that's a that's a go-to fire exercise for you awesome definitely gonna have to check that out super super cool so gonna come at you with some harder questions here so if you had the world's attention for one minute what would you say are we talking training though or are we talking about like what are we talking about it's up to you i'll keep it I'll keep it training. I'll keep it training. Uh, first thing that I'd say is that um, we have to realize that the fluff that exists in the industry with regards to sort of like cosmetic training and uh, Hollywood bodies and so on, um, we have to realize that a lot of that stuff is a little bit all that glitters types of situation or that kind of a too good to be true kind of situation. We look at actors and we look at a lot of celebrities and so on and we see their bodies and we see, um, we even hear in the media like, okay, X, Y, and Z actor shed 50 pounds for this role or gain 35 pounds of muscle for this performance or for this role as this boxer or as Batman or whatever it is. And it's like, well, these are being sensationalized in and of themselves as well. 
there's no way that a person who's been training, especially if they're like 38 years old in this movie, there's no way that somebody who prepared for this movie for maybe nine months or eight months or six months or whatever it is while they were filming gained that much actual muscle in that short of a period of time. It wouldn't even happen when somebody's 19 years old and have the perfect genetics on their head, on their side, or they have their hormones in the perfect place for them to be building muscle just by looking at weights. And, um, you know, we're, we're not answering the entire question by saying that this person built all that muscle. And even if they did, you know, there's, it's just way beyond, we have to remember the resources that a lot of these people will have available to them. And we have to realize that we haven't even ruled out the idea of some kind of performance enhancing drugs too, which can play a huge role in the, the rate of uh, change that you see. So behind the scenes, when you peel back the layers, uh, not only are people exaggerating a lot of stuff, but on top of that, people are uh, not exactly uh, realizing the the scope or the real realizing the the reality of their situation and their resources compared to what ours are. Um, you know, we cannot compare ourselves to professional athletes. We can't compare ourselves to um, professional musicians or uh, singers or um, uh, actors and stuff like that who are making millions and millions of dollars per year and, or, and who are being paid indirectly to have a certain look. They're going to go to certain lengths in order to attain those things. Um, and that's not the reality for us who work regular jobs who have other responsibilities and you know who who are just in the rat race right so we got to think about it from from that perspective so that's probably what i'd stand on a pedestal and try to say to the masses in order to not be fooled by a lot of mainstream media and uh, give them a better perspective on fitness and health no oh, i love it this is what i'm going to use for the one minute preview on instagram for sure I'm going to drop this knowledge okay. right in the center. So uh, my favorite question to finish off is how would you describe fitness in, you know, one or two words and what it means to you? One or two words to describe fitness and what it means to me. Um, Let's get these gains, baby. <laughs> I would say <laughs> staying strong. I'll say that staying strong. So, because uh, that's that's the most all-encompassing that I can say uh, that I can give you, um, because it's not about getting anything. It's not about um, getting gains. It's not about um, being big or being lean. It's about remaining that way. And the the act of staying or remaining that way means that it has to take take its course over a long period of time. So sustainability is key. And so not. Not just getting strong, not making gains, staying strong is why I say that. And um, when people think about it that way, it changes the game in terms of just how uh, fitness is approached for sure. Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite of the what you hear, train insane or remain the same, where it's, you know, train smarter and, and maintain your strength. Yeah, exactly. Um, training smarter, remaining, uh, remaining strong, so maintaining the strength, and that's going to take a lot of smarter training than just uh, trying to push those, uh, push those numbers and push the envelope with your PRs all the time, as we discussed over the last like 45 minutes. <laughs> awesome, man. So really, really appreciated you coming on this episode. Where can people connect with you and stay in touch with your content and your message? So um, I have a blog and uh, well, my website, I shouldn't call it a blog because it's got so much more stuff than that. But my blog is uh, leeboystraining.com. 
leeboystraining.com and uh, it has archives of all my published articles for different publications for fit, uh, fitness information. And then it has my own blog on it as well, which is where I sort of talk about different things that I see in the industry and the fitness culture and different areas that I think that, uh, you know, we should be more aware of. So, um, yeah, that's my website. I'm trying to think of what, oh, the online coaching is on there as well. If somebody wants to uh, get involved with me with regards to online coaching. So I have that as well. And you can contact me for in-person coaching whenever this is all over, of course. And um, what else do I have? I have a new uh, feature on there called the form check, which is basically where you could submit a video of yourself doing an exercise that you might have been struggling with and have me give a full-scale feedback and critique of that exercise and uh, it's uh, you know it's a little bit quicker it's a little bit shorter so if someone can't afford maybe the full-fledged online coaching they could get at least a little bit of a touch-up for their form and up to three different exercises in one shot and they could submit that to me and I could give you back that information so that's my uh, website and uh, Instagram Facebook and Twitter all across the board it's at coach Lee voice so you can find me there um, and I uh, put up information every day on Instagram and on Twitter every day. And uh, on Facebook, I usually use that as a hub to share a lot of my articles and the odd video as well. So Coach Lee Boyce for all three of those, and you're going to be in full full view of all of my stuff. Yeah, I highly recommend you check out his socials, especially his Instagram and Twitter. Like I learn something new every day because Lee drops the hottest quotes. Like they're, they're straight <laughs> facts every day, great take on points. Really appreciate you coming on episode 29 here. It's a big milestone for the podcast. And we're off the races. Awesome, so man. I appreciate it myself. It was a great conversation. And, uh, you know, I hope to be back on at some point too. Yeah, absolutely. Season two for sure, for sure. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. Take a second, leave me a five-star comment and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to know your thoughts about the show, what you like best, and who you'd like me to have on. Stay tuned for the next episode featuring Bronca from Continual Growth Podcast.